Hey guys, we have a fantastic show for you today. I'm talking with Dr. Everett Worthington. Dr. Worthington is the world's leading expert, researcher, and practicer of forgiveness. Uh, you are going to love this show. Uh, just hearing Dr. Everett talk about forgiveness is going to make you feel wonderful, and it feels good to feel good. So I really think you're going to love this show. Uh, Dr. Worthington is, well, he is forgiveness, and it is his hope that forgiveness is contagious. Now, before we go to our show, a word from our sponsors. Do you want to feel good in your own body? To feel amazing as you're designed to feel? Well, my friends, you are in luck. Head on down to OSIOnline.com and look up the Daily 21's movement plan. For just $21, that's a dollar a day for 21 days. However, after you do the daily 21s and you do the 21 days, you're going to want to do it the 21 days forever. Uh, you know, 21 and then 21 and 20, 20. Anyway, for just $21, you can learn to move and feel amazing in your own body. Reestablish your reflexive strength. Get rid of aches and pains and just up your energy, your clarity, and your feel goodness. All right. Now, back to the show. Pull up a chair and buckle up. It's the Original Strength Podcast. So, Dr. Worthington, you are, I guess you're almost, I would call you Mr. Forgiveness. It may be a little optimistic, but, uh, I, you know, it's, it's kept me off the streets and out of trouble for over 30 years doing research on it and clinical work. Yeah, like, I, like just me just trying to research you, I, I would think that you're probably the world's expert in forgiveness. You know, there are uh, there are just some really good uh, folks out there. Robert Enright at uh, uh, University of Wisconsin was, uh, you know, is a, a very well-known psychologist who studies forgiveness. Mike McCullough at uh, University of San Diego, uh, again, was he was a former student of mine, but he's become really uh, excellent. Uh, a psychologist that studies forgiveness. So, you know, Frank Fincham at Florida State studies forgiveness and, uh, you know, in a number of areas. There, there are a lot of very good researchers and clinicians out there working on forgiveness. So I'm privileged to be one of those. So you're saying you're in good company? I am. So could, is it possible, like, could you, what is your definition of forgiveness? I think that there are two different kinds of forgiveness. <clears throat> and uh, one of those we call decisional forgiveness. So this is when people make a decision to treat the other person as, uh, you know, without um, thinking that they have to get even with the person or pay the person back, but also to treat the person as a, uh, valuable and valued person. So this is a decision to forgive. It's it's what psychologists call a behavioral intention statement. It's not really behavior because if the person died tonight, I, I might never get to carry out my intentions, but I still <clears throat> have made this decision. So a person can make a decision to forgive and uh, still feel resentful and bitter <clears throat> every time that they thought about the event that hurt them. And so that suggests there must be a second type of forgiveness. And I, I uh, call that emotional 
forgiveness. So emotional forgiveness is replacing <clears throat> negative, unforgiving emotions with positive, other-oriented emotions like empathy for the person or sympathy or compassion or even love for the person, especially in a like a romantic relationship where there's been uh, hurt. So I was wondering about that because, you know, like forgive and forget or uh, forgive and just move on and let, let the past be the past, but that's not always the easiest thing in the world to do at all. Not at all. In fact, uh, it can be, a, <clears throat> of course, a real struggle. And so people can make a decision to forgive and that's a legitimate type of forgiveness. They can carry that out for the rest of their life, treat the person differently, interact with them well, but it still may rankle on them and they may not be able to control their emotions. Um, on the other hand, <clears throat> sometimes people might have an emotional experience that replaces that negative emotions. Um, maybe something terrible happens to this person they've held a grudge against. And all of those negative feelings go away, but they never really have made a decision to forgive. So either of those two could happen uh, apart from the other. They do happen together uh, in, in a probably 15% of the cases or so. So I, I have a background, um, well, I was, I was raised uh, Southern Baptist, uh -huh. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, obviously forgiveness is a big part of, of Christianity, uh, so, and I guess one of the problems with forgiveness is, is, like, say you forgive somebody, but you still feel all these negative emotions and stuff, then you wonder if it's true forgiveness, and then you start, maybe you could even start condemning yourself because, well, I, I want to forgive him. I try to forgive him. I can't forgive him or I thought I forgive him, but I really didn't because I still feel this way. How, how, how do you overcome things like that? Like, I mean, I know you said replace the negative with a positive, but is, is, it, is, it, is there more to it or is it just that? Well, <clears throat> I, I think um, when I look at the Christian scriptures, you know, what I think is that Jesus requires us to make a decision to forgive, a decision about how we're going to treat the other person. But there's not really any indication that, uh, that our emotions must absolutely change so that I feel warm and fuzzy in this person's uh, experience. So I think what Christianity really looks at is promoting decisions to forgive. I think God requires decisional forgiveness. God desires of us emotional forgiveness, but, but really that's often just not possible. Uh, I think of Peter's uh, you know, question to Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven? And Jesus says, well, not seven, but 77 or 70 times seven, depending on the translation. So, you know, well, every time, you, you know, if it's 490 times or a million times, you have to forgive. Well, you know, if somebody hurts me 490 times, I think it is physically impossible 
to control my emotions and get them back to zero. Uh, but I can make a decision every time to, to treat this person differently because, you know, I want to treat this person differently. I value them as a valued and valuable person. So I, I, I think, um, you know, as I say, God desires us to have that emotional peace, but sometimes people can just make it impossible for us to achieve that. How, how important or, or can you even talk about uh, self-forgiveness? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote a book on self-forgiveness because I experienced some self-condemnation uh, after my brother committed suicide. Uh, my mom had been murdered back in 1996 and, and my brother discovered her body and he suffered post-traumatic stress disorder, I believe, uh, and, and depression because he just couldn't get those images and that trauma, uh, he could not deal with it. And I tried to get him to go to counseling, but he kind of blew me off and, and said, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't want to hear any more about it. And I responded like a hormone crazed 16 year old who's been challenged by his little brother and by going, yeah, well, whatever. And then uh, soon after that, he committed suicide. And I, I really felt a lot of self-condemnation because I, I could not, um, you know, I, I, I didn't do what I knew I could do as a clinical psychologist of dealing with uh, people's resistance. Um, so I didn't behave very well. So I, you know, held, you know, condemnation of myself. Of, of course, one of the things we sometimes struggle with if we're Christian is that people go, well, you know, God has forgiven us. And, you know, what can you add to that? And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think <clears throat> I go back to the passage in, uh, in Samuel, 2 Samuel, in which David was confronted by the prophet Nathan because of David's uh, collusion and murder of Uriah and, and also uh, his uh, uh, adultery with Bathsheba. And uh, Nathan, of course, tells David a parable, and David gets really incensed that this person who you know, took the precious lamb of a neighbor when that person had many lambs of their own. Um, so David gets really upset and says, this person deserves to die. But being a, a merciful king, you know, I think he just needs to pay the person back by four sheep. And then Nathan, of course, says, David, you are the man and, uh, and David realizes instantly that he, uh, that this is uh, a parable, you know, about his behavior. And he immediately says, I have sinned against God and, and, and humans. And Nathan, a prophet of God, says to him, 
your sins are forgiven. So God has taken care morally of David's sin. And yet David still has self-condemnation. And we can see this because we look at Psalm 51, which is creating me a clean heart, O God, restore right spirit within me, uh, cast me not away from thy presence. Uh, a very familiar psalm. And, uh, and this psalm starts out by saying, this is a psalm of David after being confronted by Nathan. So, so we see that David still feels a lot of psychological self-condemnation, even though this prophet of God has spoken to him the words of God, your sins have been forgiven. So, so we see that well, I, it is possible to forgive ourselves. And what we're accomplishing there is, is a, a psychological and a moral uh, change that, that is not uh, really covered by the uh, forgiveness of God. So, so I think there's, and, and I'm just rambling, I'll feel free to jump in here at any point, but I, but, uh, I think that if we're going to approach self-forgiveness, we have three kind of preliminary steps. And the first of those is take the matter to God. So, you know, I bring that matter to God and I, you know, seek God's forgiveness on the basis of, of uh, Jesus's uh, perfect work. But second, then I, you know, I have to consider that I probably hurt other people by my acts. And, and so I need to, you know, seek a, a kind of a social type of uh, repentance and a social uh, type of, of you know, presentation, you can try to make amends, to apologize to the people that I've heard, to uh, accept responsibility for what I've done. And then, you know, the third uh, area is, uh, you know, I have probably inflicted some kind of moral injury on myself. You know, when I do things that I don't think I should be doing, you know, this can hurt me morally and hurt me, uh, you know, deliver what's called a moral injury. And so I have to seek a kind of a psychological repair. So once I've, you know, gone to God and, and, and then, you know, sought to make amends for people that I've injured and also dealt with my own psychological injuries, at that point, I can start really to consider forgiving myself. That was awesome. That was that was amazing. Um, so, for for somebody that forgives, and if if my neighbor has offended me, <laughs> and and I forgive him, who who is that forgiveness for? Is that forgiveness for my neighbor, or is it for me? It's for both people, you know, I, I obviously if I forgive my, you know, someone who's hurt me, I do experience a lot of benefits. 
and you know I experience uh, psychological benefits of improved mental health, uh, reduction of depression and anxiety, uh, more sense of flourishing, more sense of well-being. So I have a lot of well-established mental health benefits. I also have relational benefits because this, you know, makes it possible for that relationship perhaps to be renewed uh, and, and restored. Uh, I also experience spiritual benefits because, you know, uh, I believe that if we forgive, that pleases God and that's a blessing, you know, that, um, you know, it's, it's not something where we earn God's, you know, forgi you know, forgiveness of us, but, but we please God and, uh, and that in relationship works both ways. And then there are also physical health benefits. Uh, and these benefits, some of those are very um, immediate, uh, like just being calmer and having my physiology calm down, my parasympathetic nervous system work better. That's the calming nervous system. My sympathetic nervous system be less reactive. My cortisol levels go down, lots of different systems in the body uh, are affected. So all of those benefits accrue to myself, but also, you know, I can release a person, whether I ever communicate my experience of forgiveness or not, I do believe that there is a verse that talks about how we have the power to bind things in heaven or loose things in heaven on the basis of what we do. And I believe that we can loose uh, people in heaven, at least we make an appeal to God to do that um, on the basis of um, you know, our forgiveness of that person. So I think it benefits both myself and the other person. And if we want to treat the relationship as something that's a, you know, separate from either individual and it, it benefits the relationship too. I don't take this the wrong way. Um, but I feel like I'm talking to Jesus himself. This <laughs> is <laughs> um, like you're just, you, you ooze just gentleness and forgiveness. It's, this is, this is amazing. Um, so I want to read your, your mission state, by the way, are you, are you retired? I can't, I can't, I don't think you're retired, but I think you're retired, but I'm not so sure that you're retired. Well, on my email, it says, although my salary has retired, I have not. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I, I am <laughs> continuing to do a lot of research and, uh, you know, I do it because I love it. It's, you know, it's just something I do uh, just because it needs to be done and, and uh, I enjoy it. And so your mission, I, I found this online. Um, your mission statement is to do all I can to promote forgiveness in every willing heart, home and homeland. Right. Why? 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 That is beautiful. But why? Why is that important to you? Well, I think it, it became important uh, after my mother was murdered. 
um, back in 1996, I, that murder, I was able to forgive the young man who, who did it. Um, he was never brought to justice as a result of this, but at one point he confessed and then later retracted the confession. So, you know, the police think that they know that he did it, but, you know, it never was proven, uh, never was even indicted as a result of lack of evidence. So I was still kind of thrown up in the air a little bit. I had studied forgiveness for quite a while before that as a, a person who just, as a Christian, practiced forgiveness, but also as a, a therapist, a couple therapist in, uh, in a part-time private practice, um, almost every couple that I ever saw ended up, if they moved through and stuck with therapy, they ended up dealing with forgiveness issues because of all the hurts. And so, <clears throat> so then we started doing research on forgiveness, did it about seven years, wrote a book on it, uh, and then uh, this murder happened. And that kind of shook my uh, foundation a little bit. Um, in terms of uh, professionally, I, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. My effort up to that time had been really aimed at building faith, uh, work, and love in couple relationships. And, um, and I thought, well, that's still really important, but, you know, there may be other things that are, that are important, more important than that, maybe. Well, it turned out Within six months of that, I, I got the opportunity to go to South Africa as a, uh, a visiting scholar uh, on behalf of the South African government. And some of the things that I got to do there was I, I got to talk with eight research universities. I got to, to give uh, three regional conferences uh, on forgiveness to Christian counselors there. Um, but I also got to talk with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Johannesburg. And at the end of uh, that trip, uh, which was a 23-day trip, uh, as I remember coming back on the plane and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, at that point, I was like 48. And so, uh, so I just thought, I think I'm, God it really is calling me to reorient and, and not just to work with forgiveness in couples or families and not just to work with couple with people who are individually struggling, but also to do what I can to promote forgiveness in, uh, in different countries, in different uh, communities in different settings. And, and so a, a lot of the things that I've done since then have been, you know, individual approaches plus couple approaches plus community interventions in communities like churches or workplaces or libraries or just kind of community organizations, things that are known in public health as mediating organizations. That is, we look at how do you change 
say the city of New York. Well, you you know, you probably are not going to be able to go in and do a public health campaign in New York. Uh, but if you got a coordinated effort at a number of workplaces and churches and universities and things that are existing communities, that those could go together to change really a substantial portion of, of New York. And so this is, you know, you can just magnify that one step up to in every homeland, you know, and, and look at how do you change a country? You know, well, let's change cities. How do we change cities? Let's change communities within the cities. And how do we change those communities by changing couples and individuals? It made sense at the time. <laughs> I, I, I like it. Um, and I can see how, how that kind of change could affect the whole world. Um, how, how, many, how many books on forgiveness have you written? Well, I don't know. I would say, you know, I know, I know that I've written 45 books, but, you know, they're scattered throughout <laughs> counseling in, in a secular setting, counseling in a, you know, kind of lay counseling or pastoral counseling, uh, um, books on various virtues like humility, a number of books on humility. I think probably maybe 10 or 12 books on forgiveness. I, I, I really, I'd have to count. I don't know. If you had to give it a different word or, or come up with some synonyms for forgiveness, uh, what would they be? Well, probably wouldn't. <laughs> it's just because in academic sense, since we have, you know, since the stakes are so low, the fights are so vicious. And, you know, there's always discussions about well, what is forgiveness and uh, this researcher will define it this way and stake out a territory and this one will stake out another territory so so i think i would not uh really try to think of synonyms for forgiveness i would say that forgiveness is related to some things you know it's related to mercy um, but mercy is something that is societal whereas you know forgiveness is something that's inside a person it's a a change in their intentions about how they're going to behave or it's a change in their emotions but mercy is really a decision by a person who has the power to do so to administer less punishment than is justly deserved so you can see that so that fits right square in the justice system where justice is social and societal and mercy is social and societal. And of course, I, have, I may have merciful motives inside me, but that's not the same thing as mercy because I could have all the merciful motives or merciful feelings, but if I don't do if I don't act in mercy, it's not really mercy. It's just feelings that are located in me. So 
So mercy is related to uh, forgiveness. Um, you know, grace is related to forgiveness, but certainly, you know, the kind of the common definition that, you know, mercy is not getting what we do deserve and grace is getting what we don't deserve. You know, or we don't, nobody deserves to get forgiveness, you know, so because they've harmed someone. But I can give forgiveness as a gift, a gift of grace. So, you know, so forgiveness related to grace. So, you know, I could probably come up with other things that it's related to, but uh, yeah, those are two good ones. Those are two good ones. So your email says you're retired, but you're really not retired. It sounds like you probably still feel like you're just getting started. Would, would you say that forgiveness is pretty much like your secret weapon or secret sauce to staying young and vibrant? Well, I'll probably, probably give my wife a lot of credit <laughs> for that. And, uh, you know, I, I've always done sports. And, and so, uh, you know, I think those contribute. And, um, but uh, certainly having an interest that, you know, becomes uh, really a, one of our purposes in living. Uh, I mean, that pretty much uh, will help people stay young, uh, regardless of what that interest is for them. And, and that's, forgiveness has been that interest for me. There, I have others too. I just have poor impulse control when it comes to research. I, you know, if I see it, I want to study it. I want to, you know, uh, write papers on it or books. So lousy impulse control. I think the rest of the world is benefiting from your poor impulse control on your studies. <laughs> um, one, well, a couple more questions, and I'll let you go. If if somebody is struggling with forgiveness. Um, where's the where's the best place they can start? Well, uh, a lot of that depends on you know what their values and and um, you know the the way that they live their life. But um, one thing I like to tell people is that. Forgiveness kind of begins with what we call an injustice gap. That is a sense of how much injustice has been done to me. So that a large amount of, a large injustice gap is really hard to deal with. But a small little injustice gap, somebody bumps me in the street, I forget it before I get to the end of the street. So it's not hard to deal with at all. So once, you know, we, we start thinking about this psychological injustice gap, I think the next thing to realize is forgiveness is only one of many very good uh, ways of dealing with that injustice gap. So ways that are honoring to God. So I could... Uh, for example, seek justice. I could turn it over to God. You know, I could turn it over to God for 
God's divine forgiveness, or I could turn it over to God just by relinquishing it, not my problem, this is your problem, God. I could forbear, which is not the same thing as forgiveness. Paul makes a distinction saying forgiving them and forbearing. Uh, I could um, tolerate it, which is, you know, it's kind of suboptimal way. It's not, it, it's great, but it's not the best way. Uh, I could minimize the the issue and say, well, it's not really that important, you know, and kind of lower the injustice gap psychologically. I could accept it. Life is too short. I'm just going to accept this and move on with life. But I could also forgive it. So when, when somebody is struggling to forgive, you know, one of the things that I would say is, you know, forgiveness does not have to handle all the heavy lifting here. There are many God-honoring ways that you can reduce that injustice gap, make it less of a struggle to forgive. So if I can just relinquish some of this to God and, and give up some of my struggle over this, if I can, you know, um, you know, see a person experience some of the natural consequences of what they did to me. And those, you know, uh, you know, I remember a guy ran me off the road on my bicycle once and, you know, I was really energized by that experience. And, and so when I fought the bike back up on the road, I made this gesture. Now, this probably wasn't my best quick Christian witness to make this gesture, but but I, I just got out of frustration, turned loose the handlebars and, you know, expressed frustration. Well, this guy stops in the mid in the road and backs up traffic behind him. And, you know, I ride my bike up beside him and he's trying to get my attention. But I'm like, no, no, not going to go there. Not going to look at him. Well, at any rate. He ends up leaning across the cab of his truck and and, and uh, flicking me off, making a gesture pointing the way to heaven as I look at it, uh, you know. But uh, at any rate, uh, having made that point, he accelerated up the hill. Well, you know, I'm thinking deep existential thoughts about the fragility of life and, you know, how making one little unthought out gesture, you know, could have been a really tragic thing. When I crest the top of the hill, he's parked over at the side. And I'm thinking, oh man, get a life. And then I notice that he's getting a ticket from one of Henrico County's finest officers. You know, funny, all of my unforgiveness just went away because of seeing him experience the natural consequences of what happened. So anyway, that's that's one of the many ways that, you know, uh, I think we can deal with unforgiveness uh, and, and injustice. But suppose that a person says, well, I still want to forgive, you know, and I think I ought to forgive, uh, that we have a workbook that I've created I uh, call it um, REACH Forgiveness, where REACH stands for 
five steps to go to, to reach emotional forgiveness. And we also invite people to make a decision to forgive after they've worked through exercises to help them experience each of these steps. So let me just name the steps real quickly. R is recall the hurt. But I want to recall it not in a way that rehearses the same hurts again and again, but rather recall it in a way that tries to get into the framework of the person who did this. So E is empathize. So recall the hurt, empathize with the person who hurt you. A, give an altruistic gift of forgiveness, a, a gift that the person doesn't deserve. It is an altruistic gift that I give. And then C is commit to the forgiveness that I experience. And the reason that I commit to that is so that I will age, hold on to that forgiveness when I doubt. So the, this, this workbook, well, we've got, we have a group, we have groups that people can use that are secular or Christian. Um, on my website, uh, which is elvworthington-forgiveness.com. Um, all of these leader manuals and participant manuals are absolutely free. Anybody can download them and, and use them as they want. Uh, I've got a, a recording on there of me leading a forgiveness group at a Christian uh, uh, college and so that people can see how I do this and, and to talk them through it. And then because, you know, I want to make it more accessible than just, you know, people organizing groups to do this, I've also created the same program in a, a do-it-yourself workbook. So this do-it-yourself workbook is, there's a six-hour version of this workbook. Uh, both a secular six-hour version and a Christian-oriented six-hour version. And then there is a, a two-and-a-half-hour version that has just had this massive uh, worldwide study to show that this works in really high-conflict cultures like Hong Kong, Indonesia, the Ukraine, two two sites in the Ukraine, Colombia, 60 years of civil war, South Africa. And, and this is like almost 4,600 people that went through this, th these, this workbook in a scientifically randomized control experiment. So, so those workbooks now are available free, absolutely free in English, Ukrainian, Chinese, Spanish, and Indonesian, absolutely free to two thirds of the world's population in their first language. And if people are interested in that, uh, they can find it in the usual HTTPS colon backslash backslash, the whole, you know, rigmarole at the beginning, but then reach dot discover forgiveness dot org 
so not .com, but .org. And those, those are downloadable and usable in whatever language uh, people uh, need. Um, we're working with a team right now that is actually translating these into Arabic. So I'm going to do a study in quite a number of Arabic speaking cultures in the Middle East. So, you know, we're hoping, I'm doing all I can to promote forgiveness in every willing part, home and homeland. And uh, it, it seems like it's spreading into a number of homelands. That is how you change the world right there. Uh, that is definitely a hope that will not disappoint. <laughs> so that's amazing. I, I'm going to put those links in the notes of the show. If you're listening, just go ahead and, and go to those websites and get, get the, the reach workbook. Um, I know it's going to be life-changing. Dr. Worthington, can I ask you one more question? Sure. Do you like peanut butter? Like being what? Do you sure. like peanut butter? I do. Why? Is there a dead giveaway here? like in my office <laughs> so no i i try to ask that to almost everyone i interview um and i see like crunchy because that was a crunchy jar of peanut butter right exactly here. right is there another kind i didn't know there was another kind <laughs> that is awesome oh uh, this has probably been the most important conversation i've had on the show this is this is wonderful thank you so much for sharing your time with us well, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me and I always love it. So, you know, if you want to do it again sometime, let me know. I I, I think I would love that. Um, thank you so much. Um, everyone, if you're listening, this is Dr. Everett Worthington and he is Mr. Forgiveness. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for listening, everyone. Now get outside and play.